welcome to another book on the shelf podcast i'm jet and i'm jen we are here to talk about books because we have a book club and didn't talk about the books (laughs) indeed uh which is relevant because this is a book club episode it is uh so yeah (laughs) that's cool no that's cool (laughs) i was just gonna explain our book club it's cool okay yes Uh, no explain our book club we do bi-monthly i pick for two months you pick for two months so this is jen's pick for july and august correct is that how time works yes yep um, i know i always have to think about it because we always talk about the book <laughs> the month after yeah like the closest yeah somewhere yeah. in there <laughs> so there's always a moment of confusion yeah. uh so we are going to talk about how to write an autobiographical novel by alexander chi um, why don't you tell us why you picked this book and then a little bit about the author? Well, so I picked this book because, well, I like, as like collections, mm-hmm. I like memoirs, which mm-hmm. this has got a little bit of that going on in it. Also, he's a writer, so he talks a little bit about writing, which mm-hmm. I'm also always down for. Um, and also Alexander Chi is just one of those writers that like, I'm always hearing other writers talk about. Yeah. So I was like, it's time to read some of his work. Yeah. There's a lot of bookstagrammers that we follow. Mm-hmm that are always like well i mean especially raving about this but then just like him existing in general <laughs> yes yeah and like also on twitter too like in the writing writing twitter always talking about him nice. um so he has he's written two novels um edinburgh and the queen of the night and this essay collection that we are going to talk about um and i mean i can see why everyone's always talking about him because so he's a contributing contributing editor ed- i can talk i swear <laughs> contributing editor at the new republic and editor at large at vqr his essays and stories have appeared in new york times magazine t magazine the suwanee review and the 2016 and 2019 best american essays he is a 2021 united states artist fellow a 2021 guggenheim fellow in nonfiction. he has received the whiting award and nea fellowship mcca fellowship brandy schiltz prize in gay nonfiction, paul engel prize Lambda Editor's Choice Prize. Like, he's winning prizes all over the place. Yeah, like, as soon as you look him up, it's so many fellowships, so many things. Oh, yeah. He teaches things everywhere. fellowships to list as well. Yeah, like, it's just like, man. Yeah, and he also is an associate professor of English and creative writing at Dartmouth College, but he's also taught at... um... Wesleyan. Yes, Wesleyan Amherst. Um, There was somewhere else, I think, that he mentioned. Yeah, I think so, too. But I don't recall them all. Anyway, it's a lot is the point. He's everywhere. Yeah. Well, I just think it's really cool because he he doesn't seem to be like I wouldn't say necessarily like a prolific writer. Mm-hmm. As, yeah, at least as you know, it's not like he has like form. twenty books or like twenty essay right. like collections. It's lots of essays. Maybe might be prolific, yeah. but like it's not like some of the other you know authors that we've read where you know they have a thousand books, so it makes sense. Right. Okay, they have all these things, but he's just so like minimal but like good mm-hmm. that like and i, I think that really speaks to just down. right yeah um obviously like him as a teacher a professor a just general person to like talk to about writing mm-hmm. i think that really just yeah the fact that he's able to just do all those things is so cool yeah absolutely so cool so this essay collection specifically mm-hmm. um Again, I could list all the things that uh, it won Best Book for in 2018, but was many, many things. Um, As a novelist, he's been described as a masterful and incendiary. So with this, which is his first collection of nonfiction, um, he's secured his place as one of like the finest essayists of his generation. Um, According to his website, uh, this is the author's manifesto on the entangling of life, literature, and politics. Uh, in these essays, he grows from student to teacher, reader to writer, and reckons with his identity as a son, a gay man, a Korean-American, an artist, an activist, a lover, and a friend. He examines some of the most formative experiences of his life and the nation's history, uh, things like his father's death, the AIDS crisis, uh, his adult reckoning with childhood sexual trauma, all of the jobs that he's had, his book, um, so things like writing Edinburgh, but then also tarot reading, book selling, cater waitering, and the election. Um, or as yeah. most people kind of know what the election means. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, 
I went into this blind, as I usually do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I really, really liked it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, same. Jump in, dive in. Yeah. I mean, like, it's it's so interesting because, like, obviously his experience in a lot of things is very far removed from my own. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, like, all of his sort of odd job working as a waiter and like mm-hmm. going to school for writing, but then also like working as a tarot reader and like a yoga instructor. I was like, damn, like I know. <laughs> this feels familiar. I don't teach yoga, but I have dabbled in tarot. I loved the tarot essay so much. Oh, and cause that was kind of like early on. And as soon as yeah. it started, I was like, Oh my God, this guy is exactly for us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Truly though. And just like, and just all the like cater waitering. Okay. The, okay. There was a moment though where I'm reading this. And he's talking about working as a cater waiter in New York City <laughs> in 1990. It was early 90. Like 94? Yeah, somewhere in there. Maybe 97? Yeah, somewhere in that range. Like this man was being, being paid in the 90s $25 an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I nearly died. I was yeah. like, what? Well... Also, like, considering who he was cater waiter I mean, for. yes. Like, I understand this was a high-ranking cater waiter position. hmm But still. But, yeah, just in general, like, for somewhat of a serving job in America, that was, like, astounding. I've never been ta- paid that much hourly. No. In 30 years later, nearly. <laughs> I don't know how much I make hourly now. Yeah, I have no idea. But yeah, anyway, like that's crazy. Anyway, I just had a moment where I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, good for him. Good for him on that. Yeah. That was well, such an interesting one. Yeah, and just like all of the people that he was adjacent to. Yes. Um. Obviously, again, this is a book we like, so we're just going to ramble on. There's going to be Absolutely. no structure. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> um. One of my favorite chapters was just talking about when he was younger in San Francisco and working at the bookstore mm-hmm. uh, and kind of like the start of the AIDS crisis and the protests and whatnot. Um, because when I was in film school, we had watched uh, the Harvey Milk documentary, whose name oh, is yeah. escaping me right now. Um, so I was very familiar with all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously like when the film Milk came out and whatnot, but um so yeah, just even like all that stuff, like I felt like I could, aside from the fact like his writing, like I really felt like I could see it, but then like, because I had seen some of the actual real pictures of it, mm-hmm. uh, like there's one moment where they're, they're getting in drag and they're going to a party or a something or was it pride oh, yes. or something. And they had mentioned his friend, Danny Halloween. Oh yeah. That, obviously. Duh. Um, I mean, not necessarily. <laughs> no, but like, I remember it now. I'm just yeah. like, and also because yeah, yeah. Halloween is a very big thing, um, as I know because I live a block away from yeah our version of the Castro, uh, and have worked at the Starbucks there on Halloween. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but Danny Nicoletta and I was reading and I was like, why does that sound so familiar? And that's what it was. So like, he is a wildly famous photographer. Like all of some. Like, the most famous photos of Harvey Milk were taken by him. And, like, he worked at Castro Camera with Harvey Milk. Uh, He was the last person to actually talk to Harvey Milk the day he was assassinated. Yeah. And so, like, that got me into, like, spiral of, like, looking all kinds of other stuff up. And then just, like, how it went back and forth with Alexander's different relationships with people in that time and stuff. Mm -hmm. I just, I yeah, I really like that chapter. Yeah, I also really liked that chapter. Um, cause then there was the time, like the one, cause it was when he was falling in love with Peter. Um, oh, yeah. and he had said something about like, he fell in love with what he wanted to be next. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. That. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That. Cause yeah, like his chapter, like, I think a lot of that was all in the, the after Peter, um, Mm-hmm. It was just so good. Like, he was talking about San Francisco nights and, like, how the nights seemed to have more colors than the days and just all of this, like, 
Yeah, he really, like, brings, like, where he is in that moment to life. Like, yeah. And just, again, obviously because I love art and film and photography mm-hmm. and all that. So he's talking about that stuff so much, too. Yes. Especially in those, like, earlier chapters. I was just like, oh, man. Yeah, and just, like, being, like, going to the Iowa Writers oh, yeah. Workshop, like, which is, like, the mfa degree for writers which is so crazy right because like, is that just like a random play like i never because like i didn't really know and then but then i was like oh i guess this is like pretty important because like i was sitting like who like right who would ever it's end up so going funny. there for any reason yeah and i only know about it from like following random people on yeah twitter and also i had a an essay book of essay collections called scratch and it might actually have been Alexander Chi's essay in that collection hmm. uh, where, they're, where they're talking about like the sort of the two kind of ways you become a writer and it's either you go to New York City or you go to Iowa. Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah. Or that you go to Iowa and then you move back to New York City. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that came up a lot in this, in a bunch of his essays too, of the mm-hmm. whole like, yeah, everyone, like, leaves to do something, and then, like, they always come back to New York, or, like... Yeah. You go... Yeah, you go to school in Iowa, but then you come back to New York, and then, like, just that, like... (laughs) Oh, New York. Yes. I love, too, when he... The essay about the roses that he's growing in... At his place in Brooklyn. Yes. It was just, like... Again, (laughs) like, just so vivid yeah yeah like you felt like you could see that garden yeah and like i don't really know what different types of roses look like but i still was able to like envision mm-hmm. dip- different types of roses, which i mean might not actually i was gonna start looking them up and then i'm like you're rabbit holing so fast here <laughs> <laughs> so i didn't but i could still just be like okay well like that one's called this so like in my head it kind of looked this way and like that like I was still able to make them look all different because of the way he was describing them and just... But also what I loved about that essay is that you can tell that he went rabbit-holing on roses. Yeah. Like, you see that whole process for him happening of, like, first looking up all the different kinds of roses and then how to, like, make sure that they're getting the right growing conditions and how to prevent pests. But then also he finds that rosary when he digs up the... Mm. Accidentally (laughs) digs up someone's clearly someone's family pet yeah animal um, bones. <laughs> yeah some animal bones with a rosary and starts falling down a hole of like rosary where does that word come from and finding out that it did actually used to mean rose garden and i'm just like oh so like this band just is literally just what it looks like when you fall down a wikipedia hole except obviously put together in this really wonderfully written way <laughs> prior to wikipedia yeah like <laughs> yes oh yeah no no this was like again I'm pretty sure this was the 90s as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was the other thing, because he moves into this place and he doesn't put in a phone line at first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, the bliss? That sounds amazing. Yeah. Because well, <laughs> like, he what was just say? like, I don't want a phone. I'll just use a payphone. But then it, it turned out that <laughs> like people thought he was a drug dealer. So he's like, fine, I'll put in this phone line so you don't think I'm a drug dealer. Yeah, the police like, came yeah. and like, talked to him or something like that. So he got a phone line. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, to be fair, if you're always just using a payphone to conduct all of your calls, that does look a little suspicious. Well, and yeah, like, at that time, like, that was the thing, you know? Like, the, the payphone on the corner, like, that was the yeah. one where, like, people would be hanging around, you know? If you've seen The Wire or anything like that, like, you know how it works. Like... Mm-hmm. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think of some of the other... I also enjoyed the, the a couple where he's, like, playing with form. Like, mm-hmm. the hundred things about writing a novel. Mm. Where yes. it's literally, they're numbered one through a hundred. Yeah. Um, but, like, don't necessarily all read, like, as exact, like... Yeah, as individual. Well, like, and, and, well, and some of them are very, like, do this. Mm-hmm. But then another one is kind of slightly more rambly metaphorical something yeah not of not like a specific like task type thing where it's just like this thing that i thought of but then you're like oh yeah no i get and then like yeah then it ties into the next one and the next one and then turns into this little like 
story kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Just because I thought it was an interesting way to, and and because again, when I think of an essay, I always have a very particular notion of what an essay is, mm-hmm. and that is not it. <laughs> well, just so I like when people play around with the form. Yeah, and like we've at this point, well, we've read at least one essay collection for the podcast. Um, yeah. But I think maybe in life we've read a couple more. For sure. But as I've been saying, I mean, thankfully for the last couple of years, not that it's made me actually get my pen out. But anyways, uh, it's that like learning that freedom of like you can do it however you want. Mm-hmm. And even just like how this is like you could tell someone that this is 100% just a memoir and they would be like, cool. But then also right. it it is like how to write an autobiographical novel. Like it is like a writing text kind of mm-hmm. in that way that like On Writing by Stephen King is, I felt. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I'm guessing um, Chuck Palahniuk has one as well. But I have okay. I've only read the first like two pages. Um, and I'm try- I feel like there's a couple – others maybe or i might just have them on my list of like yeah um bird by bird by Anne lamott is kind of like that like it's a it's a book on the craft of writing but like there's a lot of memoir yeah throughout it as well um and i would even say a little bit of joan didion like not always but she has a few essays that are particularly about writing Mm -hmm. because writers like to write about writing well yeah because like none of his were specifically like do this kind of a thing but they all still had that like even the ones again like talking about roses or you know the time Mm -hmm. in san francisco or you know the first one when he was in mexico and like yes he was learning as a child to like write short story like write stories and stuff it was didn't really it wasn't like about that but it was about that Mm -hmm. so i like that part like i felt like i was learning to be a writer you know I mean, if I actually wrote, maybe a better better writer anyways. But, like, yeah, like, it felt educational in the way that I like it to be educational. Yeah, totally. Not like, in some, will... like, stiff educational. Like, right. I don't even like using that word, but, like, that's just the best way to describe it. Yeah, like, I would go back and reference this. Yes. For writing wisdom, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But, like, I like, too, when he's talking about when he's um, learning with Annie Dillard in Iowa um, where she says talent doesn't really matter. Like you could teach somebody how to be a good writer and like Mm -hmm. how he's seen students that had their writing maybe start off, not in a super like what you would call talented place, become really good writers. Yeah. Which also just makes me feel better about everything. It's like, okay, so just keep (laughs) writing and trying. Like eventually you're going to get better. (laughs) Well, yeah. Cause like a couple of the things um, that I had like, bookmark that were like specifically about writing mm-hmm. um one said so, you know like and i think this was a quote from one of his instructors it might have even been annie dillard was like sometimes oh yeah because i think it was something that she like wrote on one of his papers sometimes you write amazing sentences she wrote to me and sometimes it's amazing you can write a sentence yes and i was just like oh yeah i think that was the other really really nice thing about reading this was you get to see all of his like when he's not feeling confident about his writing and and stuff like that where it's you can see that people read his stuff and were like what are you doing with this yeah and yet he's <laughs> obviously such a well-respected mm-hmm. good writer you're like okay right you I don't think... have to be writing brilliantly all the time like that's not how it works yeah i think that's that's a really good way to put it that he's right because i said like he it's not like i wouldn't call him like a prolific writer Mm -hmm. but he's so respected yes that with the few things that like we could read right like i don't i mean i guess maybe on the internet we could probably find a fair amount of his essays but like realistically Mm -hmm. you know we have this book we could get the other two books for sure like we wouldn't have access to a lot of stuff but it would be one of those things where it's just like no that one like that's one that you have to read Mm -hmm. so also love the reminder that um sometimes when you're writing the real story doesn't start until like Page like, four. you can usually scrap the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure, yeah. I wrote that down somewhere. I think it was, like, page four. Yeah. Um, and I even remember that from writing essays in university where 
it would be like, yeah, either scrap the beginning or you didn't get to your thesis until the end, which is fine, but like restate that in your introduction. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh yeah, here's um, something that begins around page four. That if the beginning isn't there, sometimes it's at the end and you spent the whole time getting to your beginning. And that if you switch the first and last pages, you might have a better result than if you leave them where they are. Um, so one of the, the like projects that his class had to do that, like, I can't remember if this was any Dillard or if it was one of the other ones, um, but it was like, they brought scissors and tape to school and like several, several drafts of the essay. Um, one of the ones that they struggled with. So they cut out the best sentences and taped them onto a blank page and then like filled in the word, filled in what's missing and make it reach for the best of what you've written so far. Mm -hmm. I watched as the sentences that didn't matter fall away. Yeah. Like that. Speaking of a to do that right there. Right. Totally. I was like, Oh, I want to do that. Especially because I feel like that is how my brain already works with trying to rearrange things anyway like when i used to write essays in university i would have Mm -hmm. like a desk in the library and i would have pages spread out before me with like weird arrows and like it was a mess yes that's what all of my current writing books look like yeah go back to this This page with the thing the star and the asterisk do it on the computer i need like two extra monitors to just like get everything up so i can see it all at once (laughs) yeah yeah and yeah it was just another one of those ones where like by the end i was like okay yes you need to get writing do this right um well it made me think too because i um there was a while where i was taking a bunch of writing classes at george brown um for anyone not from toronto listening george brown is one of the colleges here and they have a lot of creative writing classes um and one that i did was i think they called it you know like creative personal essays or some kind Mm. of like you know but basically, like, you know, autobiographical essays or mm-hmm. whatever. And, yeah, like, just trying to, like, figure all the... Because, like, it's it's weird at first, right, to, like, write about something real or personal or whatever. And, like, Alexander Chi talks about that a lot throughout the book, kind of, of that, like, all fiction is nonfiction or, like, comes from true things or, like... That, like, mm-hmm. finding that blend of, like, real and not real and this and that. Um, and at first, I remember, because when I signed up, I was like, cool. And then at first, like, for the first few weeks, like, I hated that class. I was just like, <laughs> this is hard. This is weird. And, like, we usually would kind of get, like, a couple topics. And we would read essays. So we did. We actually did read a fair amount of Joan Didion and things like that. And then it was always like, okay, this is the idea. Or t- you know, like, come out. And then, like, the next week we would, like have had to have written something based around that mm-hmm. and because I was, I was so used to like university and stuff where it's literally like you have to write about xyz then it would be like we get the sort of topic you know and it would just be like write about a time when something was different than it seemed or you know like right and like i was always so like strict to that mm. i remember a couple times the teacher was like oh like you know, like, it's not like, it, like that it was bad. It was just like, okay, this is kind of like a random story. And I was like, yeah, but it follows the thing exactly. <laughs> but then, like, now, especially after reading a book like this, like, I could, would know how, like, he was actually really just barely giving us a guideline. Like, you could have written anything about anything. Yeah. It had nothing to do with that. Like, he just wanted, like, writing personal true things is hard. <laughs> yes. That's my rambly rant. No, that is true. And, like, that is the thing about personal essays that always floors me yeah or memoirs in general yes it's i'm like you just you just put all that out there yeah for everyone to read and then i always get stuck in that like part of like oh well like i'm not interesting like nothing's nothing big's happened to me nothing i don't want to say like you have to have something traumatic but like i get stuck in that too some sort of event whether be good or bad or or, but you know so then you're just always like i don't know like i could write about doing the dishes like but like if you think about like you know you probably could find things but then i was like well i don't want to like put more importance on a thing that wasn't important but like you could easily spin that to make it seem like ooh, you know and like it's so it's such a weird like he has an essay where he wrote primarily about planting roses in his garden yeah i know right and you're just like oh man (laughs) 
And again, that's what it was. Because like, when was I? I we, were, we were all still at the gallery. Um, so somewhere between... Wait, I think I feel like you were there already. So somewhere between 2014 and 2017. Okay. But like, so obviously a million things have changed since then. Yeah. And I feel like if I was taking that class now, it would be very different. Right. And I would see certain things in different light. Um, but yeah. Shout yeah. out to anyone that writes anything autobiographical, whether it be essays or memoirs. Or an autobiographical novel. Yes. That was really interesting to you. Because so how the the title essay mm-hmm. is another one where he does, it's not numbered, but it's the same kind of like semi-instructional, but not really mm-hmm. um, style. But then he also has the autobiography of my novel. Yeah. Where he talks about writing Edinburgh and the ways in which he was bringing real aspects of his life into it but also changing it i was it was so interesting because i went back on i was on saturday i don't even know why i started reading this um the book that i was writing the one that i ended up finishing um when we were together actually like the time the the weird yeah the weird multiple timeline one yeah and i was reading parts of it and i was like oh this is so fully poached (laughs) from my life that I was like, I don't know if I could ever let anyone read it. Oh no. I, I might, I might do it anyway. I think I would have to change a few things just to disguise it like a little bit better. <laughs> the characters are not, the characters are not, yeah. but I mean, they're a little bit, they are a little, yeah. but I was just like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> like wholesale, just absolutely. Wow. <laughs> And I didn't, it's funny to look back at it because I mean, it wasn't that long ago. No. But I don't think I realized the degree to which I had done that at the time, which is wild. Well, yeah, because even like that would have been, again, somewhere in that like 2015 or 16, 17, 18, Mm -hmm. somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so like just going back to that and like, even if it's just for yourself, like I would hope that you go back to it and like, quote unquote finish it or whatever or like change it up or do you know just kind of like I mean it was also kind of nice to read because I was like I think this might actually be kind of good I'm gonna fall in the fan club and be like I'm sure obviously so Uh, (laughs) I might have to actually it might be it might have been enough for me to be like oh I can polish this up and do something with it instead of abandon it like I was (laughs) planning on doing (laughs) But, and, like, that's, you know, just, like, what I was saying with, like, taking that class mm-hmm. and even, because in, in another one of the classes I'd wrote a bunch of short stories and, like, yeah, in my head it was always, you know, well, you have to turn this into a full thing, but, like, as we all know that I've learned, you can write short stories. Yay! Yay! Um, <laughs> and then now turn them all into graphic novels, um, which I can't draw for, but we'll figure it out. But it's just, and because I think, you know, he, um, she had that some sort of like file folder where he had like bits and pieces and scribbles and scrabbles of like old stories and this and that. And he just kind of like kept them all in a thing and then like Mm. was going back to them once or twice and like looking at them, but like purposely kept them. And I think that's just it, right? Like maybe that story you do nothing with, but there's one paragraph in there that is just like fucking fire. So you steal that and like put it in something else. Mm -hmm. Right? Like print it all out, do your snippy snippy and like cut out all the good things and paste them into a new document or whatever for sure 100 percent. like yeah if you're stealing like an artist i think that also means stealing from yourself yeah for sure yeah and and that's why i always when i'm going through something that i'm writing if i'm and i think a lot of writers do this um is i'll have a i'll have a like a basically like a dump document yeah. where I take stuff that I'm cutting and I just drop it in there because I don't want to completely get rid of it. Like maybe it doesn't fit here, but maybe I can use it somewhere else. That's a good Or idea. maybe I'll end up needing it anyway, or maybe it'll fit into a different part yeah. of the book than I thought it was going to, or a different part of the essay than I thought it was going to. Yeah. Or like maybe this is an entirely separate essay. So let's keep this and maybe I can write something around this particular thing instead. Yeah. I like that. 
Yeah. I have, like, so much of my stuff from all that time in all the previously mentioned years, somewhere in that 2014 to 2019, (laughs) um, is in, like, notebooks. And I feel like I Mm. need to type it out. And then in that way, then I would also, like, sort of cut and paste. Because I know there's been a few times where I have done that already. Like, a few of the stories that I've managed to get, like, typed up. But then, like, I for sure can remember, like, circling things and being like, save this for somewhere else. Or, like, or I would cross off the stuff that I for sure put into the actual story. Right. Just so that, like, partially so that I knew where I was. But then also in the, like, okay, you know, now that you've gone back and looked at this and, like, that's that was stupid or whatever. But, like, it's still mm-hmm. somewhere. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It's the time. How do people have the time to do all the things? I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> um, the real question. Yeah. I mean, there was also that part in one of the essays. I can't remember which one it was. Um, if it was... Which one was it? It was one of the ones near the end where he's talking about what you'll sell so that you can keep writing. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn. Hardcore. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. But just this anything. idea that, like, he would stretch his money so that so that he could write instead of work. Yeah. Which, like, theoretically is what I'm trying to do now. Yeah, in my head, that's, like, what I've always wanted to do, but, like, just has not been reality. Yeah. Probably just because, like, I don't feel confident enough in my writing to, like, not have a secure, secured financial situation, even in the times when I was, like, struggling, but at least I knew there would be a paycheck. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, what is it? There's one part where he says something about, like, writing, writing for money more than love but not forgetting to write for love yeah that's good you know because like that's one of those things too where even just like as an artist or whatever like you maybe you have like whatever your thing is you still might end up doing something else because like that's a commission like that'll make you yeah you know money so then at least you can work on what you actually want to do but like it's that weird thing of like you don't want to hate writing because you're always you know writing essays for whatever but, like, if that's what's going to pay for them to you mm-hmm. do to do what you want to write, you know, like, it's such a weird place to be in. Yeah, I think possibly the other way to do it is to, like, apply for grants. Yeah. But I do think you need a certain amount of work to do that. Mm-hmm. Although there is, I was looking at one of the <laughs> art council, Canada Art Council. Oh, nice. Yeah. Because they have one for, like, beginning writers Ooh. that aren't published. That's a lot cool. of them require you to have at least one published novel or like several published short stories. Hmm. And I think I would fall into the same category of like there's there's the one part again, I cannot remember which essay that it says. This is what happens when I binge all of these yeah. at once. I just can't <laughs> remember which was which. Um but he's talking about the short the shorts I mean you know it might be the one it's the autobiographic auto auto It's the worst word to say. Of his novel. Yeah. Not, not, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, where he had all those short stories that he was pulling from for the novel. Yeah. Because back when he'd written them all in, I can't remember if it was in Iowa or if it was when he was at Wesleyan. Wesleyan? Yep. (laughs) That the person reading them was like, this wants to be a novel. Yeah. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, yeah, I do think that every single time I'm trying to write short stories, that's what's happening. And is it wants to be a novel. And and I think in one of the few ways that we differ, um, I think so much of my writing mm-hmm. has been the opposite of that. Yeah. Is that I'm trying, because in my head, that's what I'm supposed, you're supposed to write a novel. But then if I just pared it down or kept it what it was, like mine are trying to be short stories. Yeah. See, maybe you're just gonna maybe you're just gonna be a prolific novel writer. Maybe. And that's okay. I mean, I almost have two sitting around 
That's wild. I know. What you have to do is what that one instructor of his said. You have to go to the place in the bookstore where your books would go. Yes, I loved that. And um, you walk up, right, and you find your the place exactly on the shelf is, and you put your finger there. Yes. And then every time you go to the bookstore, you do that. I'm going to do that every time I go to a bookstore now. Right? Yeah. I loved that. I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, that's one of those little things where that's not really like a to do or like a how to write, but it's that kind of the back of your mind. I don't want to say like manifesting, but like sort of yeah. manifesting, put it into the universe I just don't want to say manifesting because that's like such a like word now, but more just that, like putting it into the universe. I believe in the universe and the planets yeah. and that kind of like putting it out that and way. I think sometimes it's even, it's not even necessarily like as like a manifesty as that. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's just like self you need to believe motivational. It. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's just, And yeah. psychologically doing that, a lot like it's like you're giving yourself permission to strive for that yeah and so then you can like basically write in that direction Mm -hmm. whereas otherwise maybe you're just kind of you know wandering around aimlessly and being like oh i'm never gonna do that so why even bother trying whereas this if you're like no that's what i'm gonna do and then you do it like i think it's a little bit of a psychological trick too for sure. There was even, yeah. there was one quote too, it was something about the difference between like the you and like the you that you kind of like invented or like made mm-hmm. something, something like that. And I think that kind of plays into that, like the version in my head. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've written ooh, graphic novels, published. Absolutely. But in my like actual person, mm-hmm. I would never believe that. So it's like this weird in between of like, in my fake self, the one that I've invented in my head, like I've manifested that and completely believe it. <laughs> but then like not in my real self. <laughs> so then, okay. So then and I do think that that's why actually physically going to the bookstore and doing it, I think yeah. the physicality of it mm-hmm. matters. Yeah. So that's our new task. New habits forming every time we go to a bookstore. You're going to go to the graphic novel section and be like, that's where I'm going to be. And I'm going to go wherever I think I'm going to (laughs) be. Fiction, I suppose. Although currently young adult. So. Well, yeah, that works. Um, Did you have any like quotes or other notes or thoughts? I was really extremely terrible and didn't take a single note. Or mark anything down, despite the fact that as I was reading this, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you should mark that. Oh, you should mark that. Like, I just, I need to get into a better habit of reading with even, like, a pencil. Do you have, you you had a real, co- like a, sorry, not real, a paper copy. Yes, I have a physical, physical copy, copy of this book. Um, the one that has worked best for me with physical copies, because I still, like, in my brain, can't necessarily, like, write in oh, a book. washi tape, right? Washi tape. Yes. And that's what it is. And I literally, like, I have it, I have a whole bunch of them stacked in my little reading corner because I actually do read now in my, and so it doesn't necessarily mark the exact line, but, like, I rip off a little piece, tab it, Mm -hmm. like, you know, where you, like, it flips, you know, on, like, both sides of the page or whatever. Yeah. But when I rip it off, whichever one has kind of more of, like, a a pointy (laughs) side, that's the one that I have, and I point that towards the paragraph or the sentence Mm. so that when I do flip back... I at least, so whichever one's the, yeah, the longer, pointier side, I put it on the actual page that I'm trying to reference. So that again, right. I don't have to worry, don't have to worry about number one, writing in my books, because like, part of me, like, I just want to be that person, but I just also cannot sometimes. <laughs> That's fair. I don't know why. This yeah. is why I feel like pencil might be a good compromise. Yeah. Um, but then it's there, but then also like, when I'm done with the book, then I get, I see all the little like, I also like how it's like a visual thing where I can see everything, but right. it's not like the little tabby ones that stick right. out because I don't necessarily like that because it's, it's flat my against the page. terrible copy has deckled edges. Yeah, I, it's really annoying. It's my least favorite thing about it. Um, I, I almost want to like, <laughs> like, you know, in when we were watching Little Women mm-hmm. and they're finishing off the book and there's that like grinder yeah. thing where they grind off the deckled edges because that's what finishing the book is. Yep. 
I almost want to just get one of those and finish the book myself. Yeah, just need a solid paper cutter. Yeah, like how do I how do I paper cut? I mean, it's got a lot of it's got a lot of extra room here. Yeah. I just need a good paper cutter. Yeah. Maybe we'll just have to go visit Coach House and I'll be like, "Can That's... you just cut this for yeah. me?" Oh man. Just chop it off. Oh. I just want to be able to flip through my book easily. Thank you. There was that one really good paper cutter at the gallery that I feel like I almost lost a finger on 12,000 times cutting menus. It was like, like you could stack stuff up and it had a really good like shook. Nice. Um but yeah, so having the washi tape has been cuz it, it kind of ticks all those things in my brain. Yeah. I am marking it off. It's also fun and colorful and like a thing. Um and then it's and it's a visual cue. Versus having to like flip and find right. where I marked a page yes. or like wrote on a page. But then it's not too distracting with like the sticking out tabs. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, and yeah, because like my copy, again, that's another reason why I do love the Kobos that we have because you can just like highlight right on yes, it. Yes, I do love that. Um, and I also love that it like, so if you have the Kobo app on your phone or your iPad or whatever, like even the annotations and stuff, like all transfer over. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it's really good. Wait. Oh, right. I was asking if you had quotes and stuff. So I guess I'll just read mine. Yes, please do. <laughs> I want to hear them all because I know there were many. Yes. Um, there was one early on uh, and he said, sometimes I felt like a camera shocked when people noticed me. Oh, so good. <sighs> yeah. Because then like that, like talking about ticking boxes, like that's, Everything because photography was like the first, I mean, I guess art form that I did consistently Mm. without realizing that, I don't know, when you're like five, you don't know that that's art or like you're in brownies and taking pictures, like you don't know that that's art, but that's what it was. So anything related to like cameras, I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, That was fairly early on, I think. Um. Well, then, yeah, even just, like, as soon as he started talking about tarot, I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, right? So good. Uh, and he had said something, too. Uh, it was, where is it? Oh, here. Yeah, or maybe because my psychic powers were so overwhelmingly strong, uh, I would be taken away, studied, because he was, when he was young. Oh, that's had, right. Because, <laughs> and I feel like that was very. Just like some X-Files shit. That was, like, very of the times in, like, I guess the 70s. Um, in his class. Yeah, that seems very 70s, right? Where, like, they start, people started to, like. Think that yeah, it's paranormal things I were. I don't think I realized that. Yeah. But like, like the government was legitimately taking this seriously as a potential, like. Yeah. <laughs> I guess war. Yeah, and that's just right. Like it's it all comes down to like what they would be able to use in a war, one hundred percent. Um, and yes, yeah, so the this person came in and was doing these like you know quote unquote like psychological paranormal tests. Um, to figure out if they could, like, if you could guess what the card, like, if you could see, sorry, I don't want to say get, but, like, see, you know, in quotes, yes, like, see what the could, card yeah, was. Like, and he did really well, and he had said, um, oh, yeah, or maybe, because he was, because, of course, he's a kid, right? He just hopes to be, like, taken away. Um, well, and he was reading all the, like, fantasy and, like, Stephen King stuff, so he was, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was because my powers were so boring. overwhelmingly and he, strong. He was in Maine too. Yes, um, he was hoping he would be. I would be taken away, studied for the protection of the town, as in my favorite Stephen King novel. And I was just yes. like, yes. yes. Um, which then kind of tied into like why, you know, he was trying to figure out like why, like the tarot appealed to him, and I think mm-hmm. that was part of it, right? Because that kind of sure. goes into that like. Yeah, and that was so early on. So as soon as he started talking about terrible stuff, I was like, well, where are we going in this book? But I'm here for it. <laughs> right? Yeah. For, I, I Actually, speaking of holes, I almost fell down. Um, that whole thing about the literal government actually, like, trying to see if children had psychic abilities to potentially harness this for militaristic purposes. I was like, I feel like this is something I need to explore. Well, but <laughs> like... what? We well that um, oh my god, what was it called? We read that Stephen King novel for an episode. Right. So here's the thing. I think is that because, like, Stranger Things. We were just talking about that. Which is when I, you know, have yeah memories like actual things happening. Um, I think 
to me, Stephen King was always just just like taking it to weird extremes. Yeah, he wrote weird, spooky, scary like, books. Yeah, it was just like pure fiction. Like I'm thinking it's pure fiction that he's like, oh, what if the government took this seriously? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, no, wait. But they did. Yeah, but they Firestarter. And like as much as I know that like the Nazis were doing weird things like that, like yeah. all that Indiana Jones stuff where they're going after weird, mm-hmm. that, that was actually things that the Nazi party was doing like they legitimately yeah. were into the occult and trying to figure out how to use that. Yep. Um, but I didn't realize that it a continued into the seventies and with like the U S government as well. And I was just like, wait, so all the stuff in the X files that you're like, this is made up government conspiracy. And then I'm thinking of like stranger things and I'm like, so wait, <laughs> 100%. This is all stuff that was happening? Yes. It blew my mind a little. Okay? I just didn't realize. And now <laughs> I need to access all of this yeah. because this is super only my jam. And I bet you there's a podcast somewhere about it and I'm going to find it. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, like, beyond. Anyway, for it sure. was such a good essay. I really enjoyed it mm-hmm. for so many reasons. Yeah. But yeah, that weird little, his weird childhood psychic abilities and being tested by the government was definitely. Well, and then, like, he goes on to, like, as one of his ways to make money, does, mm-hmm. like, tarot readings when he's teaching yoga in New York as part of a, you know, just general yoga, woo-woo tarot, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say woo-woo in a good way because I do all those things. Yes. But it falls under that category. Like, we don't both have what are basically yeah. tarot altars in our... <laughs> I literally have a witch table that I call yeah. my witch table. Yeah, no, I literally um, have a little altar with all of my stuff on it. Um, and I really like the part where, and I didn't realize, because, like, obviously I've, you've seen so many movies and shows about New York. There's always, mm-hmm. like, a, you know, a tarot reader or a, a psychic or whatever. But legally, that is, or being a psychic right. or a tarot in New York is illegal. I also so you didn't realize have that. to say, like, this is just entertainment, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Because um, one of the movies that I'm obsessed with, they go to a psychic at one point. And it's just kind of one of those, like, you know, like they're stumbling around the city in the middle of the night and, like, the guy happens to be taking his garbage out and he's just like, oh, I guess I knew you were coming or whatever, right? And, like, invites them in and all kind of stuff. And it's just like, oh, that's such a weird yeah, thing. But to me, I guess it falls under the whole, like, America and, like, kinder eggs. Like, <laughs> they just don't trust anyone to, like, have yeah, enough common just... sense to, like... Because I would totally go do that. But, like, in my head, like, I would never be like, oh, like, this is real. And again, not that I don't believe it's not real, but, like, in a, mm-hmm. you know... Yeah, I would I always know, take like... it with a grain of salt. But also yeah. just because, like, again, not that I think it's not real, but I think there are also probably a lot of people out there who are grifters yes like yes you know (laughs) yes so one of my other favorite quotes was he was talking about it was it was in one of the 100 things about writing a novel and he was talking about how like he's written on the subway before Mm. and therefore then missed stops just as people do when they're reading oh yeah i loved that one too and I was like, oh, man, again, I'm not, haven't been commuting these days. Um, also, my office is in New York, so whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but just that idea, like, I remember that and, like, that feeling of, like, of, yeah, I mean, how many times are we, you know, it's just, like, grabbing a piece of receipt paper and, like, quickly writing out yeah. the idea that you had for a story or, um, where was I? Oh, I was at the My Chemical Romance concert. And, like, for whatever reason, I had that little, like, ping of, like, this thing that would tie into, like, this new idea that I had had. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God, where's my... I started... I knew I had started a note on my phone. So it's like, I gotta write this down right now. And if that's what it is, right? Like, then you, like, miss your stop because you're reading that book. Or then to be on the other... I guess I've... Because I always used to read on the subway. Mm-hmm. So, like, just him saying that of, like, being on the other side. Yeah. Of, like, writing while you're on the subway and then, like, missing a stop. I was like, oh, my God. I know. I loved it. So good. (laughs) So good. 
Mm-hmm. What else did I have written down? One, oh, I, um, his chapter, what was it? Oh, on becoming an American writer. Yes. Um, side note, when you make annotations on the Kobo, it lists the chapter. Oh, <laughs> right above your like bookmark or your annotation. Handy. So convenient. <laughs> um, he was talking about nine eleven. Yeah. Um, it's spooky that that was the day that I read that. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Yesterday. Yeah, and how there were news reports on how there was an epidemic of writer's block in New York City, mm. uh, and after those. Um, appeared there were reports of writer's block in many other parts of the world too. Writers known and unknown spoke of how they couldn't think of anything to write that approached the scale um, of the attacks, like as if that was part of the task oh, damn. of writing. And I thought that was so interesting. I mean, number one, just mm-hmm. because like being there and being part of that and like at the age that he was and all that stuff. But then the, it was specifically that last sentence that as if that were the task of like everything you're doing, you're creating as a writer, as an artist, whatever, has to be of some sort of import, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and I just never really thought about that. Cause like where we were like up here in Canada, like obviously we knew everything that was going on, but like to hear something about like people having writer's block, like that wasn't really something that I think like would have filtered up here, but just that like idea of like, oh, I can't write you know, a story about a silly dog because, like, it just doesn't matter. Right. Which is so interesting because I think there's um, somewhere at the beginning in one of the first essays, maybe the first one on writing, where he's talking about how there was, I want to say a 50% increase, but that sounds really high in people applying to MFA programs. Yes. A certain amount of time after 9-11. Yes. And yeah, because, and like it to this point now, it's like been exponential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so fascinating. Yeah. Like how in the moment, no one could write, mm-hmm. but then after. Everyone wanted to. People's way out of it, sort of. Yeah. Was writing. And again, not necessarily writing nonfiction or about it, but just maybe it was all <laughs> high fantasy and they were escaping. I don't know. But like. Yeah, I'm waiting I, for our influx of fantasy to uh, hit us. Yeah, I feel like we've had a lot of, like, uh, too close to home nonfiction slash fictional stories that are dealing with the pandemic. I'm like, I'm not ready for mm-hmm. that. But I could deal with, like, <laughs> let's go to outer space. Yeah. Let's. <laughs> I know I've seen so many people just, like, on Twitter, Instagram, or wherever be like, I understand why you never read very much about the Spanish flu. Or, like, see it in any entertainment. Mm-hmm. Like, no one wanted to tell stories about it. Yeah. They're like, I get that now. I'm like, yeah, me too, man. Yeah, there was but one. So interesting. Because well, I, like, I was reading all those thrillers. Oh, I mean, I still am, but, like, for a while. And there was one that just kept coming up, like, on Bookstagram, on Twitter, like, on everything. Mm-hmm. But it was very much, like, taking place during 2020, the first quarantine in the thing. And I'm just like, hard pass. Yeah, no. Even now, we're like, not. that's not... I feel very different about all of it, but I'm just like, no, like, I don't want to, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Like I really appreciate all of the TV shows that just decided to basically blow past it. Yeah. They like maybe acknowledged it for a couple episodes and they were like, and we're moving on. Yeah. Um, or a lot of the like fan fiction that I've read, like they'll specifically like, there'll be like a little like asterisks at the start being like, the pandemic never happened or like, mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're saying that it was fine after the first few months or like whatever, because it's just. Yeah. And again, like 9-11, obviously, like, I very much remember everything where I was, etc. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, So just. And at that point, I definitely wouldn't have called myself a writer. Like, the amount of essays that I wrote in film <laughs> school, <I would> have. <laughs> honestly. It's like 500 to 1,000 pages. Easy. But yeah, like I never would have thought myself as a... So like I wasn't thinking about any of it that yeah. way. Whereas like even now, like to think about films on that or the just like mm-hmm. art in general and like... Yeah. What's interesting about it, I mean, I was... I would have been... When was that? It was 2001. So I yeah. would have been 14. 
Oh, I was actually not quite 14. I would have been. That's correct. 14 in two days. <laughs> yeah. Is how that would have happened. Um, but first of all, I had already um, written a good chunk of a novel by then. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. <laughs> and like got started so many more yeah. that I had abandoned. But it never, like obviously it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I quite appreciated the enormity of it and how it would affect everything. Everything. Well, until like, much later. Yeah. Well, even in that chapter, she talks about how his friends, they were walking around Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And like, at first they thought it was snowing, but it was ash. Oh, God. And so he told all of his friends, like, they all got like wet cloths and stuff to cover over their mouths. And he said, when you get home, like, throw your clothes away. And they were like, oh, whatever. And he's just like... Without saying, because he didn't, like, it wasn't, the issue wasn't that that was, like, parts of the burnt building. It was, right. the issue was that uh, that was human mm-hmm. ash. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh. Yeah. And then, yeah, like, he was talking about how then he had put every, all of his clothes in a garbage bag, but then, like, it ended up in the back of his closet until he was moving, like, mm. seven years, like, ten years or something yeah. later, and he finds this bag of, like, the clothes that he was wearing that day. I was like, oh, God. Yeah, I'm kind of over living through, like... Major historical events? Yeah. Yeah, it's been a lot. Starting, actually, at that point. <laughs> yep, that was that was basically it. <laughs> and, it, yeah, no, it's just funny the way, like, the way you, I didn't realize how much it changed so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like... And I hadn't really thought about it until, like, I was recently rewatching, um, well, not all of Law & Order because there's only random seasons on different streaming platforms. So weird. But, obviously, Law & Order is, like, is New York. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just... Um, and it was very true to that. But then also, like, there were certain episodes that were directly about it and stuff. And I was just like, oh, man. Like, yeah. I know, but right? I just never thought about it because I don't. I don't think I've read. I can't think of anything else that I've read about it, like this novel. You know, like I've definitely seen right. again, like the Law and Orders, the TV shows talk about it, or like ones, you know, where they like changed. I think was it Friends or Seinfeld that were like, no, Seinfeld would have just been oh, over. Oh yes, like they yeah, like changed friends. the opening, so like because like they because the, they wouldn't yeah, show the towers the, for a long time. So right, but I can't think of other times that I've read about it. Um, I know that Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close by Jonathan Safran Foer is about it. Oh, I think I've read one of his books, but not that one. Only one I can think of. Yeah, like it's this that weird thing that I feel like yeah. it's still sort of not. So yeah, I just, I really like that chapter just because, mm-hmm. um, again, just kind of like bringing up the memory of it, but then also like seeing it from someone who was there. I guess the one, the one other book that I read, the audiobook that I listened to was Colin Jost's memoir. Oh, okay, right. Uh, because his family is firefighters ah. in the FDNY, and his mom was, like, the head. So, like, there's, like, there's, like, doctors and medical people for firefighters that are, like, part of the FDNY, but, like, oh, okay, yeah. some kind of, like, I'm not explaining it correctly, because what that's basically what it is. And, like, she was the head of that, so, like, she was there. Damn. And, like, so, like, he was at Harvard and then, like, got an email at one point of someone being, like, oh, hey, like, have you talked to mom, like, your mom today? Or, like, that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And just, like, and then her, like, the different people that, like, she knew that then, like, they lost or this or that or, like, and at one point she was supposed to be in one of the towers, but then she went to the, like, while it was happening. So I lied. I have read something else. And that was mind-blowing. Yeah. I was, like, making dinner and, like, fully, like, stopped. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just seems like one of those things still that's not necessarily written about as much. But mm-hmm. um, when even just everything about the AIDS crisis too. Yeah. That he talked about and um, yeah, like when he was cater waiting for the Buckleys on how like William F. Buckley was like a horrible person, mm-hmm. but then his wife was like the opposite and like at a time Wild, when right? no one was was like donating millions of dollars to hospitals and things that were all about taking care of people who had AIDS at the time. 
Yeah, I know it's so funny when I was reading out these all these uh, prizes that he's won, and one yeah. of them is the Randy Schultz Prize. And I was like, why do I know that name? But it's because he wrote uh, the band plays on, mm. which is like a massive tome of journalistic chronicling of the beginning of the AIDS crisis through to, I can't remember exactly how far it goes, Mm. Um, which is an excellent read. If anyone wants to know more about it, I mean, it's, it's a tough read, but yeah. Well, even just when he was like reading or like writing Edinburgh and then having those moments of like remembering when he was at camp with his choir director and stuff and how like she had his own childhood sexual trauma and like it's it's so so like again we're like raving about this book because we loved it so much i was like oh my god this is my favorite but like it's definitely not like sunshine and rainbows like oh yeah no it deals with so much real stuff but it didn't when it it didn't come off in this like heavy bad way like Mm -hmm. it was just i just wanted to learn more and know more and read more yeah whereas like sometimes when it starts dealing with something that's traumatic or scary or heavier whatever then you're like oh, i don't really want to yeah it's like it's yeah i understand yeah <laughs> um would you recommend this book 100 <laughs> percent. especially too just because like First of all, I do think it works extremely well to read in the order that it is written. Mm-hmm. And it was clearly, as essay collections are, like an album. Yeah. Very deliberately organized in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think, like, if you were somebody who didn't necessarily jive with memoirs or essays for whatever reason, I still yeah. think you could, like, cherry pick which ones you wanted to read. Definitely. And still enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Um this was just really good <laughs> it was it was really good uh, it's really well written if you're a creative person of any kind i think you would get something out of it well i think that's what it is too right because it was just there's so much talk about art and the different because i mm-hmm. think was was peter an artist someone i think someone or someone was. there was a few different it might people have been that, peter that he was had um talked to about and I feel like it was Peter because the quote mm. that I have was, when an artist dies young, there's always talks of the paintings oh, unpainted, yeah. the books unwritten, to which points to some imaginary storehouse of undone things and not to the imagination itself, the far richer treasure being lost. Uh, all of these works are on the trail left behind, a path across time, like the sun leaves gold on the sea. You can see it, but you can't ever pick it up. What we lose with each death, though, is more like the stars falling out of the sky into the sea and gone. Something undone, something that won't ever be done, always remains unendurable to consider. A permanent loss of possibility, so that what is left is only ever better than nothing, but the loss is limitless. Damn. And I I think that's... Yeah, I remember reading that and I was like... (laughs) I think that's just what it was, it's just... Because in my head, like, I just want to be doing creative things. I just mm-hmm. want to, like, draw and write and take pictures and make things. And, but in a community way, like, I've talked about this a thousand times about some yeah. creating some sort of thing. And I have my one little Instagram that I've tried to, like, start doing stuff on. But then I stopped drawing, huh? Um, but, like, just, yeah, like, again, as I said, like, there was huge heavy things and, like, all the stuff in San Francisco and the East Coast, But it was still wrapped around this like community of artists and different things. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about the one filmmaker that he really loves and another painter that he really loves, whose name is escaping me right now, but I do know that painter. And yeah, like I just felt like I wanted to create after this. So that's why mm-hmm. I agree. Like I think anyone who is a creative person is going to get something out of this. For sure. Also man had me wanting to apply to an MFA again. So like, right yeah the whole time i was reading it i was like hmm i wonder if jen's already applied (laughs) (laughs) straight up i was like should i apply to iowa (laughs) 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 anyway oh well 
happen eventually. Let's be real. Yeah. And that's, well, the whole time he kept talking about, like, uh, Amherst, because, like, he ended up working there, but, like, that was one of the schools that he and his boyfriend at the time had applied to. That's right. Uh, and I was like, oh, man, because that's um, the Emily Dickinson Museum mm-hmm. is in Amherst. And, yep. and then we always talk about, if anybody has been here before, this is Jet's drinking <laughs> game. Uh, paper houses and like I was like oh man I want to go to Amherst like that's gonna be my plan for like the next time I go to Boston because it's it's like I think like about a two-hour drive like it's yeah. a bit out of the city it's not uh, it was easy to like go to Concord and like visit all those author places but then I was like oh like it's a university town I was like oh my god this is even better mm-hmm. <laughs> and like a right university, university town, town. yes yeah. <laughs> yeah I do well, we could clearly talk oh, yeah, and ramble about this keep rambling about forever. It's like, so. oh, talking about creative things? Oh, let's go. Uh-huh. We'll cut it off here. If you are a creative person, if you have read this book, if you want to talk about art or creativity or anything, you know where to find us. Anotherbookontheshelf.com, another book podcast on Instagram, another book pod on Twitter. All those then link to ourselves so you can find us, we can do things. I just want to talk about art all day. Right? <laughs> uh, we're going to be back in two weeks. <laughs> Funnily enough, talking about the books on our shelf that we haven't read yet. Yep. Books and, we should have read by now. But we should have read by now. Um, which I think really just plays into everything that we talk about all the time. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. Oh, man. But we will see you then. Bye.